anybody who I meet who I don't know regularly, they just assume I'm a guy who chose to have a mustache. <laughs> Just like as a life choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have the same problem, except uh, with an afro and a gigantic gnarly beard right you, now. You got a 360 thing going all the way around your headpiece right now. Effie is not a fan of the beard because literally that reason. She's like, there's just not much face. There's a lot of hair, not much face. <laughs> Welcome to episode 348 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian. Brian. <laughs> you, you're getting me on it now. You know what I was thinking about earlier is like, we have such a rhythm for our opener mm-hmm. that I wonder if like it would be unsettling for people for us to switch it up ever, right? Yeah. Like, well, we used to on the on the bonus land. I used to do the opening yeah. and yeah. I guess nobody ever mentioned it. Okay, maybe, I, maybe I'm just in my head. Uh, anyways, we have uh, a nice episode lined up, but before we get into it, we want to thank our golden ratio supporter, Float. Float saves you time so you can get back to doing what you love. The world's top creative teams use Float to plan their projects and schedule their team's time all in one place. You can learn more at float.com slash design details. Thanks, Float. Thank you, Float. We also have some new supporters this week. Yeah. Our VIPs, very important pixels. Shout out to Stacy H, Tim Dyson, Ludens Tam Tran, John McGarrian, Jasmine Jones. Talk about Ooh. another uh yeah, that's another comic book name right there. Jasmine Jones. Uh wait, who is the who's the something Jones comic book character? Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. That's what it reminded me of. Jasmine Jones. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I like it. Alliterative names are fun. All right. Jasmine Jones, Paul Truong, Carol Lukens, Gareth Field, and Eric Conley. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Good names. Love the names. There's always at least one name that's just a cool fucking name. I mean, everyone's name is cool, but I think we could all universally agree that some names just have a, a little flavor, a little yeah. spice. Like a cadence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some spice to <laughs> A little English. L- a little say. je ne sais quoi, little if you will. Top spin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in case you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast. We have a weekly segment called The Sidebar. Sidebar. Which appears sidebar. in every episode where we talk about like a pro tip or share a story or a cool resource that we found, always design-related. And uh, this week we're talking about our home screens. Marshall has a very detailed philosophy, <laughs> meticulously crafted over years and years for how his apps are organized on his phone. So we, we compare and contrast our philosophies. If that's yeah. Funny. If you want to hear this like incredibly important information as to how I organize my home screen, just a buck a month. Yeah, just a dollar a month for this sidebar, all past sidebars, and all sidebars going forward. So if you want a full episode, go to patreon.com slash design details, and uh, we would really appreciate your support. Just a dollar a month and uh, full episodes. All right, let's get into some follow-up. Yes. We heard from Ali Anko on Twitter, says, I need a designer bingo card, Brian and Marshall. Stat. Interesting. Yeah. Designer bingo card. 
Just for fun? Just for funsies? Yeah, I think it's just for funsies, and this is a thing that I plan to do. We've started an outline, yeah. Yeah, we've, we're making a list of all the things you can be a designer about. It's like half half jokes, half serious. I don't know which way it should ultimately go, but it's like skills that you could have and then also silly things that designers tend to do, which yeah. would be fun to see if you cross all of them off. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going to hit some of the you're going to hit some of the embarrassing ones. Uh-huh. For sure. All right, cool. Uh, we also heard from Joe Wilmot who says, "Well, I'm over a month behind due to no commute, but the earliest work I could dig up was my ninth website from 2006." Ninth? The ninth, all caps, exclamation point. Uh, if only you could see the abominations that preceded it. And we have a screenshot of a website called OMG Lasers Pew Pew. I was trying was, to read it. I was like, where is the, where are the word breaks? <laughs> the uh, OMG Lasers Pew. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> free online games at more at your fingertips. And it's not a good website. <laughs> Well, that's the whole point. But it's okay, Joe. This is still better than my early stuff. This is still like it. There's still hierarchy and yeah. Like there's there's a grid at play here, obviously. And your like sidebars are consistent. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you, you beat Brian already. Those beautiful AdSense ads in the top. Fuck, man. Mm-hmm. Those AdSense ads. All right. Well, thanks for sharing, Joe. Link in yeah. the show notes for anyone who wants to look at OMG Lasers Pew Pew, which is kind pew, of pew. a cool website name, actually. By the way, no, that's a good name. We also heard from Bailey Jennings. Uh, Okay, so Bailey says, is it possible for you to post the entire podcast description in the feed sent over to Spotify? I noticed they were missing. I think this has been brought up once before, but this is Spotify's fault. Like Mm -hmm. Spotify gets our show notes. They're just choosing not to render it. Yeah, it's it's different from, so so this is the full description, but the description and the show notes are are different things. There's only so many characters you can put in a description, and it's intended to be kind of short. The the show notes are very long and have links and stuff. I don't even sure the description supports links, but yeah, this is Spotify's problem. Yeah, I'm going to just hit you with a pro tip, which is don't use Spotify for podcasts. No offense to the Spotify folks who are working on this, but Pocket Casts does have native show notes support with like links and images and much better chapter support. Like you can skip chapters, like you could skip this chapter called mm-hmm. uh, follow up. Mm-hmm. So Pocket Casts is a little bit better. Otherwise, yeah, this is on Spotify. And small other thing, I did notice that Bailey's screenshot is mid-listen on Jonathan Saffron Foer's episode of Armchair hey. Expert, which was in our cool thing last week. So yeah, yeah. double whammy. Nice. Nice. All right, Bailey. Good luck. We also heard from Kate Niendorf, who says, Marshall sounds right and Brian sounds center. Could be a dominant brain hemisphere thing or my earbuds are mildly defective. Oh, she's talking about the sound padding. I thought she was referring to the fact that I'm always correct. I also misread the second sentence as could be a dominant Brian hemisphere (laughs) thing. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it could be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But Marshall does sound right, I think. Yeah. Uh no, yeah, that's that's funny. I mean, they're equally left and right, but I also don't hear them equally. I thought it was because I was going partially deaf, Brian. Well, I am. I think my left ear is has worse hearing. So Yeah. I, okay. I, I think my, I'm the same way. So I, I was like, well, I mean, the numbers on the computer tell me that this is as far to the left as mine is to the right. So I'll believe it, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Maybe it's no not... computer has ever been wrong before. So. That's true. That's true. But they're <laughs> numbers in the computer, yeah. Brian. How could it be yeah. wrong? That's what computers are good at. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, thanks for the note, Kate. We'll keep an eye on it. But yeah, I think my my head is also 
Maybe it is a dominant brain thing. Like maybe you hear stronger from one side. I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, if you're listening and you don't hear this equally panned to the left and right, I should be slightly in your right ear. And Brian, and I should be slightly in your left ear. Yeah. If that's not true, let us know. Or if it is true, let us know. Uh, I'm curious if, if we're just going deaf or maybe our brains are so right brain strong. I don't know. Or maybe you're just like a stronger, more charismatic voice and people kind of lean to the right, you know? Yeah, it does. It does cut through the din like a knife, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a nasally knife. A nasally knife. Oh man, that would be the name of this episode if we still did that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We also have some tweets. Just two tweets this week. Uh, this one was cool, Marshall. So we heard from Rowan Adams. Rowan was performing an interview and asked a question that we'd asked on our previous episode, which was, uh, "What do you think is the most undervalued skill in UX design?" And the candidate replied. Was that design details? And Rowan says yes. And the candidate was the question asker. That was a, their listener question <laughs> that we talked about on the podcast. Awesome. Wild. Small world. This this industry is small, y'all. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me that people actually listen to it. I know that I mean, I know that people listen to it. I see the numbers, but it's weird that like they actually Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This is this is the coolest thing. So I the Rowan, I replied to your tweet. I said Thanks for listening, because I only saw the the follow-up tweet that was like, thank you for all the time you put in the podcast. It's invaluable. I was like, oh, that's nice. Thank you. you know, I'm glad you appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And it was only after I sent that tweet that I scrolled up and realized this whole amazing thread above it uh, about the design interview. So uh, sorry about that, Rowan. Uh, even greater appreciation. Thanks, thanks for listening, and thanks for uh, including our question in your design interviews. I, I hope you get cool answers from it. Yeah, that's cool. All right, uh, last tweet. This one comes from Andy Ingram, who kind of posed a hypothetical asking, is it possible to do a podcast intro without the I am introducing a podcast voice? And says, not even joking, the number of podcasts I've nearly stopped listening to because of the weirdly artificial podcast drawl is alarmingly high. I have to force myself to keep going. Big shout out to Design Details for speaking normally. Hey, hey speak normally. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm trying to think like, what does the I am introducing a podcast voice sound like? Welcome to episode 200. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I don't listen to enough like typical podcasts. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm trying to think too. I, I feel like we try and hit the middle ground. There's some podcasts that are super highly produced and it's like, long intro like setting a serious tone interweaving like narrative and intro like a radio lab like npr type stuff yeah like that kind of thing and then there's the opposite which is it just turns on and someone starts talking it's like Uh no setup at all i feel like we're kind of in the middle like the music gets you in the mood and then we have like a very consistent first what 20 words and then it just (laughs) is us chatting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i I think I probably have a little bit more energy during the podcast than, or, you know, I speak with more energy than I do during a normal like meeting or something. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. yeah, this is genuine. It's just, we're just being ourselves, Brian. This is how we talk when we're not recording it. Mostly. Yeah. I would say I like, I try to get a little bit more energetic because my voice does skew monotone and like a little (laughs) bit quieter and softer, which is fine in person because you have like facial expression and other types of energy. But when it's audio only, I do try and like, especially not trail off sentences. Like that Uh is hard for me to do because I want to trail off every time. (laughs) God damn it. I'm going to have to increase the volume on that part. No, no, no. Leave it, leave it, leave it. All right. That was tweets. Let's get into uh, some main topics. All righty. Okay, we have a great listener question this week. 
Jessica Perelman asks, how to get unstuck when working on complex UX issues? Oh, man. What are some strategies that less experienced designers can use to get unstuck when working on complex problems? Let me be more specific. You frame the problem, you do your research, you run an energetic brainstorming session with your team, the creative juices are flowing, everyone's happy and excited about the cool new ideas, which makes sense to everybody and you can't wait to get started. You're drawing on whiteboards, you're doing crazy eights, you're, mm, you're riffing yeah. off of each other, just quick sketches and bullet points and stuff and putting dots on things and, and voting and like, yeah, awesome. But then the excitement starts to fade when you begin materializing the ideas and you start seeing these huge gaps in those initial solutions. This may be because you are not thinking about all the use cases, or it could be that there are a lot of dots to connect. Uh, so, brown, brown, brown. how do you get over this problem? Because I have 100% been there, Marshall, where mm-hmm. you go, you're like, all right, this is going to be a tricky problem. I need to like get everything out on the table, ha- have some conversations, don't block me. You go into the meeting room, you're hyped up, you're like, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I get back to my computer. Then you sit down and you look at your screen. And you're like, "Oh shit, none of this works." <laughs> like this work. sounded cool in the room when we were all like hyping each other. Well, first of all, I guess maybe that's where we could start, right? It's like, was the meeting hyping each other? <laughs> so, so maybe you shouldn't do that. But anyways, have you experienced something like this? Yeah, and and this is why it's so important to get the right people in the room for that jam sesh. Uh, you want to make sure that you have people who have deep enough institutional knowledge that they can make suggestions that they know won't break things. They have like uh, enough understanding of the weird edge cases in the product. But before you spend time thinking that something is a good idea, and, and it sucks to be a no but person in these types of meetings, but it is useful to have someone go, actually, we can't do that because legal says a blah, blah, blah. Or actually, there's this rarely used feature that actually takes up that space there and we can't use that. It needs to be reserved for it. Or we made a, a an agreement with this other team that they have that location for this thing. We can't put more than one icon there. Whatever mm-hmm. happens to be, having that person in the room to you know spike a potential rat hole uh, is not a bad thing. Even though it feels like killing ideas, it's it's actually a good thing to have in the room. So that's step one: get the right people in the room. Which would be like what? I mean, they call these stakeholders, or yeah, it could even be outside of that, just like engineers, PMs, right? Yeah, someone with the institutional knowledge doesn't even have to have been there for very long, as long as they like know the product like the back of their hand, or at yeah. least their area. Yeah. Okay, so that's, I agree, the first problem. Um, I wonder, maybe there's something else going on in the meeting as well, like what the process is to arrive at solutions that sound great, except when you get back to your computer and actually start doing them, that they fall apart. So maybe it's a fidelity issue. Like Exactly. That often happens, right? Like when you wireframe something, you're like, I think that could work. And then as soon as you start putting pixels on screen, you're like, ah, actually this doesn't feel correct. Like mm-hmm. the weight's off, the rhythm's off, the screen doesn't fit the type of content that we thought it would fit. We kind of just scribbled a line and said, you know, title here and doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. When you're designing with the hatchet of a whiteboard marker, something that looks like it'll work does not work when you get down to the scalpel of a design tool, you know? Yeah. So what's the solution to that? Like, how would you make, because you don't want to go too hi-fi in a meeting. Otherwise, you're just watching someone nudge pixels or like fine tune a prototype, which isn't productive use of everyone's time. So like, how Mm -hmm. would you try to get higher fidelity in that kind of setting? Well, two things. First one is just knowing that it's a potential pitfall is 
a lot of times enough for you to go a uh, grain of salt when you're when you're drawing that beautiful mock that's completely out of proportion and would never work on screen. You have to be aware that like, hey, mate, this might not work. I shouldn't get too excited about it until I actually try it out. I've also participated in jam sessions where it's like uh, part of the session is, okay, now we're going to take our, our best ideas and just really quickly mock them out in a Figma file or whatever and all work together on this and see if it works. And, and especially when there's multiple people doing stuff in the same file, it goes pretty quickly. It's not like you have to spend hours and hours seeing if an idea will work. You can pretty quickly bang it out and, and figure out if it's viable. Yeah, what's that? It's like the eight eight three one process or something. Have you heard of that? Uh, remind me. Everybody, you have a certain amount of time. Everybody sketches eight things in low fidelity. Like you have one minute to sketch eight ideas. And then you pick the best three and you make those mm, slightly mm, higher mm-hmm, fi. Mm-hmm. And then you pick the best one and you make that like within the context of the meeting, like as high fidelity as you can go, but like you, you funnel down so that when you leave the meeting, maybe you have as few ideas as possible, or even like from everybody's eight three one process, then you go through that and pick one or two, so you end up with a thing. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I mean that could lead you to the same problem of like, oh, it sounded great in the meeting and doesn't work in real life, but then if you have those artifacts, like everybody's one, I don't know, that's a way to get unstuck, right? It's like okay, we here were the other paths that we initially signed off on that weren't really going to work in the meeting, but now that we're out of the meeting, maybe some of those are worth digging up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if you get back to your desk and realize that every, everything you created in that meeting was total shit and doesn't work, sometimes just the lateral thinking necessary or or at least the, the inspiration you get from other people having ideas outside of the box you've already put yourself in is enough to kind of kick you into a new way of thinking about it Maybe this pattern doesn't work perfectly, but it makes me think of this other pattern that might be the right thing. Or I didn't think of arranging the IA this way, and that makes the page read differently. Or you know, whatever it happens to be. A lot of times, even if it's not the right idea, it can be a good enough idea to get you on the right track towards the right idea. I think my my biggest problem when I get stuck is just like you know, I have an arsenal in my mind of potential solutions for any given problem. If I've exhausted that arsenal and no solution works that I'm aware of, that's when it starts to get a little bit hairy because it's like, well, now I'm inventing new shit, which is fun. And I think all of us as designers love inventing new patterns and new shit. But like, that's dangerous territory because there is exactly one person in the world who understands how that works. And it's me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, it kind of this brings to mind this other problem of working on big, hairy problems which is that I think sometimes the perception of it being big and hairy makes you feel overwhelmed or make, I'll say it makes me feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm looking at an issue that's like solve this big problem, my mind just goes crazy. It's like, all right, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to like account for all these different screens, all these different flows. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. count for this state, this state, this state. And so then when you move into Figma, it really is overwhelming. Like, where do I even get started? Or you start on something, you're like, okay, but this is going to have 20 downstream consequences. So you end up like overcomplicating things before you've even started. So I don't know. I would try and really ask yourself if the problem is complex or if there is a way to make one complex problem a series of complex problems that are slightly less complex individually Mm -hmm. and you can do one at a time. I don't know. Like, I think facing a complicated problem as this question asker says, like a sliding tile puzzle, like the more tiles on that, the harder it is and the more intimidating it is to even get started. Like 
try and break it down to a two by two tile puzzle because you can solve that one really fast and then build outwards. Yeah, and I, and the thing I was going to suggest as you were talking, and I think we're heading the same direction, is a, a change of altitude, right? Sometimes you can be so close to the thing that you don't see it for what it is anymore and you need to really back up. Yeah, I feel like the altitude piece is interesting because I feel like each altitude has its own set of complexities, but switching altitudes is what unlocks something in your brain where you're like, oh, if if this problem at a high level didn't exist, then I could solve this low-level thing slightly differently or vice versa. Like, mm-hmm. I might go in and do something really high-fi on like a very specific part of the UI. Like, what should this one button interaction section feel like and look like? And then kind of like the tile puzzle. Like, then I can work outward from that, but I have this one unit that feels good. I think that fails more often than not, but at least you have momentum. I think the goal here for me anytime I'm getting stuck is like, how do I find momentum as quickly as possible? Because if I am stuck at one of these altitudes, just looking at this huge field of problems, it's really intimidating to just get started on one of them. So Mm -hmm. getting momentum, like it snowballs, right? Like momentum builds on top of momentum. And if you solve one small problem, it's going to make the next problems flow a lot easier. Yeah. And I, I feel like all this is so abstract, right? Like, well, here's, here's a couple other things you could do that are, are a little bit less abstract. Um, so you mentioned something earlier talking about constraints. And, and I thought you were going to say something, but you didn't say it. But I think it's a good thing is change the constraints. Even if it's not what the ultimate product is going to be, maybe give yourself an extra constraint that you didn't have before or remove a constraint that you do have and try and solve the problem that way. And maybe moving those things around is enough to make you think about it a different way, right? Sometimes having more constraints is actually better. A lot of times actually having more constraints is better because it it helps channel your thinking a little bit better because it it knocks out entire realms of possibility. Um, And sometimes that's a bad thing and you need to open it up. So removing a constraint that you have might help you think about it a different way. Uh, Another thing that might help is changing media. So... Maybe you're working on the computer and it's not working for you, you're stuck. Like switch to paper and pencil or switch to whiteboard or something. Like a lot of times I find if I if I change granularity or change media, it's enough to like kick me into a, a different mode of of working. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Do you have the same thing? No, that's a good one. Yeah. I I'm like switch between pencil and paper and then go go back to pixels. Uh another thing that came to mind as you were talking was I feel like I've been in situations where we have these big jam sessions or these big brainstorms and they feel big because everybody sets aside time for it. It feels like this huge investment. You like kind of hyped up the meeting itself. And then when it ends, it can feel bad to revive it. You like, I've been in these situations where I feel bad, like saying, what we came up with in the meeting wasn't useful. Can we have another meeting? <laughs> yeah, thanks for all your time. Can I have more, please? Yeah, you don't want to do that. But I think it's totally valid, especially if you can do it sooner than later. If you're using Slack or whatever your medium of communication is, just post back to those same people and be like, that was great. As soon as I sat down, I realized this thing doesn't work or I got stuck on this like one specific point. How did How did we get past this in the meeting? This can be an ongoing thing. It doesn't have to be like when the hour's up, can't ask anybody questions till the next brainstorm in two weeks. Like you can always just go back and circle back. I was also just trying to move out of the abstract. I was thinking, what do I actually do in my day to day when I get stuck? And I just hop on a call with an engineer who's going to build it. Mm. And I feel like they're often really good at unblocking because they're going to have to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, we're working right now on the merge flow at GitHub, which is like, 
tons of hidden features, permissions, different states that a pull request can be in. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Uh, mm-hmm. just to keep the whole set of parameters in your brain. So I just hop yep. on a net call with an engineer who is sitting in the merge screen all day. I mean, this is perfect for like designing a product that you use every day. Mm-hmm. But the engineers have a different way of thinking this and like they can talk it through from a different angle from the implementation point of view. They might say, oh, that thing that you think is complex is actually pretty easy or that thing that you think is easy is really complex and that's going to adjust the constraints. Like hopefully those people... We're in the meeting in the first place, but if not, like it still seems like a a useful follow up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess my ultimate point there is just because the meeting's over doesn't mean the brainstorm has to be over. Like Mm -hmm. you can still talk to people, post post back, and I'm sure those people would appreciate hearing like you know they go back and they're working on their thing. They're like, oh, we were so smart in that brainstorm. It's probably good for them to also hear, oh, wow, we we all missed something. Mm-hmm. I want to know what that is. Yeah, if they if they're as incentivized to solve the problem as you are, they'll probably be just as willing to jump back into it as you are. All right, I feel like we talked about this for hopefully enough, but obviously it's hard. Like some of this is abstract. I struggled to talk about this. Um, I get stuck all the time. I think don't worry about getting stuck. Just treat that as part of the process, and you know, talk to people, do homework, have opinions. Change mediums. Uh, what else do we say? <laughs> uh, mess around with the constraints. Do a small task, break it up, get some momentum going. All right. Well, it's hard. Good luck, Jessica. Uh, we hope yeah, this hopefully that helped. Hopefully this was helpful. All right, Marshall, let's get into cool things. Cool. You go first. Uh, Marshall, do you know a website called Hacker News? I do. Do you Have you visited it recently? I have not. Okay. I don't really pay attention to it. Yeah. Go to news.ycombinator.com. So on the first post, click on the comments. Um, we're looking at macOS Catalina slow by design. Click on the comments link. Uh-huh. And just hit me with some impressions, first impressions. Uh, this is... Um, What's bad about it? Where do I start? Um, the text is really small. The line lengths are like the entire width of the screen, which makes it really hard to read paragraphs. The hierarchy is, I guess, okay, but it's still kind of hard to figure out like, What's going on here? I don't know. It's just generally not a fun place to be. <laughs> okay. Right? Like if I got to be in a world of a web page, this is not a great one to be in. It's like beige and orange and I don't know. I'm not right. I'm not super into it. But I don't know. Were those the right answers? So Yeah. I mean, well, I'll defend it. Um, so I think the type is way too small. I don't mm-hmm. en- enjoy reading it, but it's, the, it's a pure content website. So you go there to read things, to... You know, you click out to a link and then you come back and you read the comments. But the comments themselves are challenging to read. I find it hard to track the uh, they're they're nested by indentation, mm-hmm. but there's no like guiding line to see how those tracks sort of follow throughout a conversation. Yeah, it waves in and out. Yeah, I mean they're indented enough, but yeah, there's no like line connecting or like yeah, there's no there's no point of reference. Yeah. So, anyways, okay, so those are problems. But the good thing about this website, which by the way. I'll just say up front, I know that this website is controversial because there are toxic conversations that happen here quite often. That's another reason why I stay away from it. (laughs) And there's like the stereotypical hacker news comment, which is like, oh, I could have built this in a week. Like, I don't get how Slack is worth billions of dollars. It's just a text input. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I keep that shit out of my life. That's why I don't don't engage in these things. But I like it for two reasons. Um, I like that every day there is some curation of what's happening in software and technology. 
it's a lot of times news. Um, a lot of times it's interesting little blog posts from people who I would have never found, people who aren't in my Twitter circle, but they're cool blog posts about some topic that I'd never thought of uh, that I would be interested in. And mm-hmm. I love being able to you know, check in once a day, a couple times a day, and see what people are talking about and read the comments. Usually the comments are dissenting opinions to the original article. So you can kind of get both sides and, and make up your own mind on who you agree with which is fun. Uh, but reading this website isn't a very pleasant experience. So they have an API and there have been lots and lots of hacker news clones. Like people, because they have an API, it's so easy to just make an alternative. So people will make browser extensions to change the styling. They'll make their own personal apps for it. Uh, so anyways, I just kind of did that this week. I made like a personal hacker news. It's on my website brianlevin.com slash hn. Ooh, it supports dark mode too. Yeah, so the the things that I wanted to solve for myself were it solves dark mode. I have astigmatism, which I have like light sensitivity. Mm. So I, I generally run dark mode. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you go into the comments, it's just easier to read. Like the text is bigger and the lines are narrower. Hey. And the nesting is more clear. There's like tracking lines and you can click anywhere on a tracking line to collapse a comment. So if you're halfway down a really long comment and you're tired of this thread, you can just click on the tracking line and collapse That's it. That's really nice. Um, so anyways, I guess this is my cool thing. I don't know. If anyone else is interested in Hacker News and just wants a slightly different reading experience, you should check it out. I also made it so it only updates a couple times a day. So the list updates once every four hours. And then uh, whenever this comes out a few days ago, I added a a daily digest email. So if you don't even want to check this, you can just get an email where the links will come here instead of to the Hacker News website. So anyways, just a little side project for fun hack day. But uh, if anyone else is interested in Hacker News, maybe this is a better place to enjoy it. Yeah, this is great, man. Good job. Thanks. This is far more digestible. I want it to be more digestible, but as fast as the original website, because the original Hacker News is ridiculously fast because it's so simple. So everything has to be incredibly fast. And I think I've got it. Everything should load more or less instantly. Oh, yeah. This is so much better. Good job, buddy. Thank you. All right. What's your cool thing? All right. My cool thing is kind of a weird thing. And it's not something that I'll use, but it's a it's a thing that I didn't know existed. And it kind of blew my mind, but it's also very clever. And I showed this to you. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I don't think you shared a whole lot of your thoughts. Okay, so I was watching a video by one of one of the channels that I sub to. His name is Ten Hundred. He's an he's an artist. He does like uh, paintings and drawings and stuff. He's got a really interesting style. And he was doing a commission, and part of that commission was he he was transferring a drawing that he did on the iPad onto a canvas that he had like spray painted, and he he couldn't use traditional transfer paper. So he did what he called a doodle grid in order to help transfer his drawing on the iPad to the canvas. I'll try to describe this with words, Brian. Okay, so what he did is he took a like a white charcoal pencil and drew all over his canvas just a bunch of random doodles, like kind of tightly collected together, but like didn't it doesn't matter what it is. It's like just draw whatever the fuck you want to. Squiggles and smiley faces and all sorts of stuff and cover the whole canvas that way. Then you take a picture of the canvas and you overlay it on the drawing that you did on in your iPad. I think he was using uh, Procreate. So he took that and then he corner pinned it so that it was all laid out perfectly over it. And then he looked where his drawing 
overlapped his doodles. And instead of doing a traditional grid where you draw like vertical and horizontal lines, uh, which might not have the granularity that you would want to, to actually like see where the lines lay, you'd have to draw a pretty tight grid. And depending on how big you're working, he's working on a relatively big canvas. But if you're doing a huge thing like a mural on a wall that's several stories, drawing a perfect grid is not very easy. And you'd have to have a pretty fine grid for it to... Anyways, you get the idea. So doodle grid. So he just draws all these doodles. And then he overlays that and sees how the the lines intersect of like... His example is like the, the back of the line of this guy's hoodie lines up with this X that I drew. You see this line here is that line there. And he's pointing between the canvas and the iPad. And like, okay, so this line goes here. And if you've ever done a uh, a grid drawing from a grid, it's an incredibly efficient way of proportionally getting your, your drawing from one place to another without it getting wonky. And But just the, the concept of using anything other than vertical and horizontal lines was mind-blowing to me, but it works so well, and it's really fucking cute, too. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I, I had not thought of it, and my first reaction, I think, was probably the same as yours, which was like, why don't you just use vertical and horizontal lines? But then you start thinking about it. It's like, okay, well... Well, one, it's kind of distracting if you have like a really organic thing that you're trying to draw to like fit it up against grid lines. Like it's contrasting the overall style, which kind of sucks. And and you're counting grid boxes like, okay, seven down and four right, you know, like, and if you get it in the wrong one, like you have to kind of work sequentially anyways so that you don't fuck it up. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, but yeah, no, exactly that. It's so like a doodle is much more scannable. So I guess you could say like, oh, I'm working off this star doodle and I can see what parts overlap the star and like where the star's points are hitting. So you have like different ways to think about it rather than like closeness to one of my tracking lines. You have like, Mm-hmm. shapes to reference oh the interior part of this doodle or the hump of this doodle or like yeah yeah that, that it's like kind of uh thing. yeah i'm i'm three eighths of the way into this grid square like no, no no it's just i'm like right off of the edge of the star point you know right yeah yeah so anyways i thought it was cool uh i didn't get it at first and then yeah i think probably like you i was like oh that's cool but i was just mostly impressed with the art i thought the video yeah. itself was really cool and you had me go back and like this guy's making his own music for the videos. Mm-hmm. So like he's he's painting, drawing, creating music, putting this on YouTube. He does these huge murals. Like what a multidisciplinary person. It was really impressive. So you should watch this video. Yeah, that's that's the fun side effect of this is like the doodle grid is, is the gateway drug to get you in to watch the video. But like his whole channel is fucking amazing. And his, his art style is really cool. I just I like him as a creator. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you got that vibe, too. Yeah, that's cool. Well, cool thing. Cool things, Marshall. All around. All around. This has been episode 348 of Design Details. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter always at Design Details FM. Hit us up. Tweet us questions. If you listened to the uh, the sidebar this week, we have some homework for you. So tweet that at us. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see it. Uh, otherwise, you can always ask your own listener questions on our GitHub. Go to github.com slash specfm. You'll find the design details repo in there and you can open an issue, ask a question, and we'll we'll get back to it. So thank you again to Jessica Perelman for asking this week's question. We hope we were helpful. Let us know what we missed. Uh, if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just, just like, like you. you. Uh, that's it. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week. Uh, be- because we don't do bonus land anymore. How about you do a bye-bye this time, Brian? Oh, just for fun. All right, this is my closest Barry White impression. Okay, you ready? (laughs) I can't wait. Bye. (laughs)
<laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, the setup. Yeah, he had me going, dude. I was like, oh man, this is gonna I can't wait to hear his low voice. Like is it gonna sound good? Boy. 